This is an ABC podcast. It's been a month since those big Centrelink changes came into effect. You know, the ones that changed mutual obligations, they were supposed to be more flexible, more considerate of people studying, for example. Well, guess what? Some students are not happy. They're saying the transition has been appalling, even just a few weeks in. So what's going on? G'day, Dave Marchese with you for the Hack Podcast. We're going to hear what some of these issues are in a little bit. Also coming up, Donald Trump back in the headlines. The FBI's raided the former president's place. He is not happy. We'll fill you in. But first... Hack. Unfortunately, the rate of veteran suicide in Australia is a national tragedy. On Triple J. Look, we're starting with something heavy but really important. And just a warning, we are talking about suicide, so if you might find this triggering, good idea to tune out for a few minutes. In the past 20 years, Australia's lost more serving and former personnel to suicide than in fighting in Afghanistan and Iraq. It's crazy. Defence suicides have been a problem for so long, and you probably know that there's now this big royal commission, like a big public inquiry, that's looking into what's going on and how we can fix this. It's been confronting, the evidence has been so intense, and we're halfway through. Now we've got this interim report, a bit of an update to let us know how everything's going. Even though the Royal Commission's still running, they've already made some recommendations which have been made public today so officials can start tackling the problem now. It's calling for a massive backlog of compensation claims to be cleared for more staff at the Veterans Affairs Department and an easier compensation system so if people do need help, they can get it. Well, someone who's been following this Royal Commission very closely is a politician who pushed for it to be set up in the first place, Senator Tasmanian Senator Jackie Lambie. She served in the army for 11 years and Senator Lambie gave evidence herself last week about her experiences and it was really powerful. Part of it included this message for Defence Force personnel and veterans to keep coming forward with their experiences. There is nothing else left if we do not fix it this time. We will never, ever fix it. I'm asking you to find the courage, whether you are serving or whether you're out. You need to come forward because this is it. There's nothing else. It is now or never. Well, Senator Jackie Lambie is with us now. Hey, Senator, thanks for coming on Hack. Oh, thank you so much for having me on. Look, you're really invested in this Royal Commission because, you know, you were pushing for it for so many years. You've lived these hectic experiences that so many veterans and serving members go through. Like you were medically discharged from the army more than 20 years ago with chronic back pain and spent years trying to get compensation. How intense was that experience? Personally, financially, we lost a lot out of it. Um, it affected my um, younger children at that point in time too, um, especially my youngest one that was um, my carer and he's still paying the price for what he watched me go through over that 10-year period. So I think for me it's been quite horrific that way. Um, lost out financially a lot, mate, because in the end I had to get all my super out just to survive because I just couldn't afford to keep fighting. So you, you do lose a lot, but on the other side... I'm one of the lucky ones, and God knows how, but after, you know, 10 or 11 years, I was able to come out of that um, that rut and turn my life back around, and not many of them, once they go through it that, over that period of time, get a second chance at life. So I'm very grateful. Um, I still sit here and go, I don't know why God had to put me through that for 10 years, but it's certainly, when I look back now and see where we're at now and that we're at a Royal Commission, 
um, you know, so, you know, maybe it was worth it because I'm not sure that, you know, unless you're in that centre in the, in the middle of a piece of the pie there, that um, we would have ever been able to get that Royal Commission and, and, and hear their stories and make change. So, you know, sometimes we pay the price for what, what we've been through, but if you can bring some goodness out of it um, later on, then I think um, I don't think you can ask for much more than that. Well, look, I know a lot of young Australians listening um, will have been through very similar experiences to you. Maybe they're going through it now. This Royal Commission hasn't wrapped up, though. Like, it's still going to keep travelling around the country and we'll get a final report in a few years' time. But it's made these 13 recommendations that we've heard about today, and a lot of them are about making it easier for veterans to make claims, to simplify things. Um, it's also given timelines for all of this to happen. What do you think of these recommendations? I think the recommendations great, great. Two of the biggest issues that we've had, which they've hit straight up in their interim report is, um, just so your listeners understand out there, is when these guys are putting in claims uh, for physical or psychological logical injuries, it's actually taking two years before it even gets to a delegate. That means that's the claims just to reach the desk. Now, when these people have not been able to work for two years and they're trying to deal with the pain that they're in, and that's now giving them, and they've got PTSD on top, um, and then they can't provide for their family, especially the men, right? Because the men have always see themselves as breadwinners. So when you reduce them to that, they just don't see they don't see a will to keep going, and that's just bloody horrific. So you, they've already go through, go through their physical and psychological injuries and trying to deal with them. You put that financial pressure on them for two to four years, you, you're you're asking for trouble. You know this this is when they start to give up, and it's really really sad. Well, we know that the numbers are crazy, right? Like 40,000 people are still waiting for compensation claims to be processed. Do you reckon that there's probably a lot of veterans and serving members who aren't reaching out for help because they're just so overwhelmed by how long it'll take and how much effort it is? Look, they'll, they'll still keep putting in their claims. One of the biggest issues that we have, and I know they haven't mentioned mentioned it into the interim report, is that we have advocates out there that help us. So they're usually ex-serving members or national service people or the Vietnam veterans, and they help us with our claims. Well, unfortunately, because they have buggered, nine years under the Liberal Party have absolutely wrote this, this side of it off. So us now, we're having to go and get legal representation actually pay for it. That's one of the biggest issues we've got as well. Um, so these people, these advocates, because it's now taking two years for a claim to get to a delegate, they can't get proficiency, so they can't move up to the next level. It's really, really sad where we're at right now after nine years of the Liberal Party. And quite frankly, I'll be more than happy for Peter Dutton when he wants to come out and apologise for the mess they've made in the last nine years, the amount of money they have spent on consultancy, the amount of reviews they've had and not, not action hardly any of them is absolutely disgusting. And he needs to be a big boy and come out and apologise to everybody who is serving and everybody who has served. Because quite frankly, nine years under the Liberal Party finished us off. Well, as you say, the recommendations step forward, obviously some positive things that you're seeing there. But a lot of these recommendations have already been made in the past, right? But there's not been action. Are you worried that that's going to happen again, that the government will look at this and say, yes, we recognise it, but not do much about it? I don't think the Labor Party has an option now. An option to fail is not an option. So I think they're under intense scrutiny right now. Um, public perception out there because they're listening to the stories. I want to let them know this. The public is watching you. And if you do not start doing the right thing by these veterans, you will wear it at the next election. It's becoming a national issue. It is finally becoming a national issue. It's on the radar. You are hearing all the terrible stories out there. Get in there and fix it. 
Senator, I know there'll be some young people listening now who probably do need support. What's your message for them? You know, um, guys, if you need support out there, please go and see a counsellor or a psychologist or whatever. Don't listen to people when they say don't see them, they don't work. I'll be very honest, I had six or 700 hours of psychology and psychiatry over the 10 to 12 years that I was really unwell and under the Department of Veterans Affairs and fighting them. I don't think without spending all that time with my psychologist and psychiatrist, I would be where I am today. And I think that's significantly helped me to getting back on my feet and turn my life around, but also not carrying that hatred around, which was making me toxic. So please, guys, if you've got problems out there and you can't talk to family and friends, please go and see a counsellor or go and see a psychologist um, because you've got nothing to lose. And do you think there's um, a lot of progress being made in this area? Like when you look at um, the Defence Forces 20 years ago compared to now, are people speaking about it? Are young veterans talking about this stuff a lot more than they were in the past? No, no. But the trouble is that those people who are serving, they get retribution. So if they come up and say anything against defence, um, they, they will be, basically their careers are finished. So I've actually asked and if there is any defence personnel out there listening to this um, today, I say this to you, put in a submission, don't put your name on it. It's as simple as that. Put in your submission because what it'll show, the Royal Commission will be able to pick up on the patterns of behaviour that are going on. They don't need your name. Okay, they don't need your name. But please put in submissions because we know what is going on in defence, but I need you to have the courage to come forward. Otherwise, you're never going to see change. Change needs to happen. The old guard needs to go and we need fresh blood at the top. That's how we change culture. All right, Senator Jackie Lambie, appreciate you coming on and explaining all that to us. Thanks for joining us on Hack. Uh, Thanks for having me on again, mate. Been a pleasure. Hack on Triple J. And we're hearing your thoughts on this one. Somebody says, I know two mates who have yet to put any claims just because the whole process is so bad. It's re-traumatising and it takes so long. Adrian says, thank you, Jackie Lambie, for being a realist in this situation. There need to be more politicians like you. Look, if you are a serving or former member of the Defence Forces or a family member and you do need support, there are places you can go. So remember, there's open arms and you can reach them on 1800 011 046. And also Lifeline, of course, they're always there on 13 11 14. You're listening to Hack. I feel penalised for choosing to study and to do placement. Basically, uh, nothing seems to have changed on this new system. Points targets are applied uh, generally across 100 points for everyone, and then they have to go and figure out the system themselves. On Triple J. Hey, are you a student getting support from Centrelink? If you are, you would have transitioned to Workforce Australia over the past few weeks. It's a system that both this government and the old one promised would be easier to navigate, more fair. Because remember, the old system was more heavily focused on job applications, like you needed to submit 20 a month or risk having your payments suspended. The new system is points-based and you get points for doing things like short courses or going to jobs expos and things like that. But already the complaints are rolling in. Some young people are saying the transition's not been handled well at all. They're struggling to meet the points criteria, especially students. I want to know, is that your experience? How are you finding this new system? 
I'm keen to know. one 300 You can message in as well. 0439757555. Already got comments coming through. Somebody says, I'm studying both at university and with some private enterprise things. What's been clear in the implementation of the new program is that the people making the assessments, the employment agencies, they themselves don't know what they're supposed to be doing. Well, Kirsten O'Connell, Kristen O'Connell, sorry, is with the Anti-Poverty Centre. It's a group of advocates and researchers that looks into poverty, disadvantage, unemployment in Australia. And Kristen is with us now. G'day. Thanks so much for joining us on Hack. Yeah, hi. Thanks for having me, Dave. And also, we're all on welfare payments ourselves, too. Oh, right. Okay. So, you guys mm. are looking into this, but you have, like, real lived experience of it as well. Um, are you hearing a lot of complaints about this new system? We have been hearing unending complaints uh, from before it even started, actually. People were having problems before the rollout with changes that were being put in place before 1 July. So, yeah, it's been um, a really terrible rollout. Unfortunately, we made some very dire predictions about what we thought would happen and our worst fears have all been realised. So it's been a real disaster for folks and there's a lot of distress out there. So, Kristen, what are the biggest concerns that you've been hearing? Mm, Well, you just touched on one there. Um, with someone who's studying and we have heard from quite a few people who are doing university degrees and it's a pretty awful policy that if you're studying something that takes longer than a year that you're not going to get any points for that study. So, you know, you're only allowed to do the low-level courses if you're poor uh, and if you have any ambitions beyond that, you're going to have to go and do 100 points um, without any of your study counting. So that's a big problem. People trying to juggle, juggle that with work commitments, even if you have a job, or you're studying full-time, people are being forced to apply for jobs, uh, which means they can lose their payment if they turn them down. People are having trouble with providers abusing them, being put at risk of COVID, being put into pointless courses. All of it is just a money machine for these private organisations. And, um, yeah, that's just really scratching the surface. Right. And, I mean, this is a bit concerning because we were hearing that, you know, for students the government was promising in full-time study and training that they'd be supported. Um, But a lot are saying we're not really feeling like that. We're feeling like we're being punished for doing the study. Um, What kinds of things do you think need to change? Yeah, it was really misleading, actually, from the Minister to suggest that people would be having their study values Um, but there is I mean ultimately this whole scheme this whole system of mutual obligations has been shown now for decades to be a failure and it harms people so what really needs to change is that it needs to be scrapped altogether we need a supportive and unconditional welfare system Um, but if the minister was serious about about making this workforce Australia set up a little bit less harmful we have plenty of suggestions and we have been trying very hard to get him to talk to us about them so for example just giving You know, those little things we just talked about, having your study properly valued, not being forced to apply for jobs if you are already in a job, um, actually having people's COVID safety um, taken seriously and not being forced to go in to a face-to-face appointment when it can easily be done over the phone. Um, As I think that person indicated, not even the caseworkers in this system understand it. Uh, We often have folks we support who are educating their caseworker about what their rights are. So there's better training needed for all of the people working in the system, 
much more robust complaints procedures. There's a whole raft of things that could be done um, to, to make this less problematic than it currently is and less distressing for people. On the text line, someone says, when I was looking for a job, I had to send a bunch of applications for stuff that I had no chance of getting or didn't have the mm. skills for just to make up the numbers. Um, Kristen, there's a parliamentary committee that's been set up to really look into this and um, see what's working, what's not, because obviously it's just come into force over the past few weeks. Are you thinking that that's going to help iron out some of these issues? It's frustrating because in reality, this system does not look different to the old system. The providers are the same and the problems are the same. These things have had multiple inquiries already. There is reams of evidence out there and the government knows exactly what is wrong and they know what needs to be done to fix it. They're refusing to do it because the people they listen to are the providers who profit from this system. So I don't hold a lot of hope. We certainly will be participating in that inquiry and vigorously advocating um, for all of the things we know are the meaningful solutions. But uh, that that inquiry was legislatively required. It's, it's not a... Um, particularly like positive step in the right direction, unfortunately. Well, it's not reporting back until 2023 either. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a while away. Look, we're getting a lot of comments through on this one, but really appreciate your thoughts on Mm. that. Kristen O'Connell from the Anti-Poverty Centre. Thanks for speaking with us on Hack. Thanks so much, Dave. And we've got some messages coming through. Someone says, I work in employment services. The participants consultant can lower the points with taking into consideration their circumstances with things like mental health and those things. It's better than telling them to find X amount of jobs each month. It's putting responsibility back onto the person to meet their requirements. It's behavioural based and the participant does need to upload evidence of what they're doing and put in their calendar study days. Uh, So many comments coming through on that one. We're going to keep on it. And the Employment Minister, Tony Burke, said last week that the government's going to keep looking into the implementation of Workforce Australia, see what's working, what's not, explore the needs for reform. So I'm sure we'll be speaking to the Minister soon on that one as well. Hack. I'm just really disgusted with that decision. Like it's someone's mural and they've removed it. On Triple J. Hey, do you know much about what your local councils are up to? It's not the most exciting thing. I doubt you're trawling through council papers on your Friday night, but it is important because a lot of the decisions that councils make obviously impact young people. A group of skaters and teenagers in North Queensland are pretty over their local council. And that's because council painted over a mural that honoured their best mate who died in a crash. Advocates reckon it's highlighted a big problem with how a lot of these councils, groups, institutions consult young people. Lillian Watkins has this story. Thinking that we didn't even get an opinion on something that meant so much to us, like, it was literally the closest thing. And they just took it away without anything. For this group of teens, the skate park is like a second home. This is comfort. Away from parents, away from everything. But lately, things haven't been quite the same. They lost one of their best mates in a traffic crash in Mackay back in May. And now, a decision from the local council has made things worse. I was disgusted with their decision because it's just artwork at a skate park. That's a normal thing, you know? Ashley McGrath is grieving the loss of his best friend, 17-year-old Will Baker. Will was a local surf lifesaver and a keen skater too. His friends and the wider community raised enough money to commission a professional artist to do up a mural at the skate park in honour of Will. It was just 
a reminder of who he was as a person, being my best friend. Say I came back here with like my kids one day and then they were like, oh, that's a cool artwork, who's the person in the picture? I'd just give them a big story about how close we were and all the memories and stuff. The colourful art showed a figure skating among coral, fish, planets and other symbols relating to Will. But a bit of a misunderstanding with permissions meant it was being painted before official approvals from the Mackay Regional Council. Eight councillors rejected a recommendation to give it retrospective approval. Those councillors said they were upholding a policy that doesn't allow memorials to be created in the town and basically said approving this one, especially after it was already painted, would set a precedent. One explained the policy was in place to prevent memorials from overwhelming the town. A fortnight later, there was a motion to just pause the painting and consult the community. But those eight councillors didn't change their mind, basically voting to not even hear their voices. And Will's mural was painted over the next day. I just really disgusted with that decision. Like, it's someone's mural and they've removed it. And so many young people agreed with what Ashley's saying here. This is Will's friend, Orlando. I think it's just a bit of a power trip from the council because, like, they can go and paint over an entire wall but they can't even fix the drink tabs. To us, uh, you know, anyone else from any other suburb, it's just a public piece of artwork. To them, it's actually connection to their space and that's so important. This is Sonia Oliver-Scoble. She's a local mental health advocate in Mackay and she's seen the fallout from this decision. They just feel that they would like to have some sort of control over their space, um, a space that brings them happiness and enlightenment and, and connection and those sorts of things, and they feel like they have no control over that. It's been taken away from them. And it's really escalated, with councillors who voted to destroy the artwork even receiving death threats. Mackay Mayor Greg Williamson, who voted against painting over the mural, by the way, says council recognises the uproar this has caused and wants to move forward now and find a solution. All of the elected members are here to do the right thing by the community in their view. Sometimes we don't get it right. And, and that's not the, the cause for the community to start piling on and, uh, and making terrible threats. So what we're saying, enough, line in the sand, Let's start this process again. There is a process and a policy to be actually delivered here uh, and we can work with the community to get that outcome. And sure, this is just happening to a small group of people in one region of North Queensland. But youth advocates and leaders reckon it highlights some issues that happen everywhere across the country. Clashes between young people and authorities aren't new. But how can these institutions go about improving things? Well, it's something 18-year-old Mikhail Tespamarium is super passionate about. I don't see how else uh, young people could engage with the state government if the state government doesn't reach out to them first. They have the resources, we don't, so I appreciate that they take the initiative to come to us. Mikhail lives in Coffs Harbour in New South Wales. She's part of a regional youth task force that helps take young people's concerns in her area to the government. So with different areas having different challenges across New South Wales, the task force is made up of 18 young people from different regions. And she says bodies like that can play a really important and useful role in governments. I've seen it happen live when one of my fellow members is talking to a, the Minister for Regional Youth and they, they plan to initiate a new project, for example. That happened on the first day of our first meeting. And she says more and more young people want to speak up, but it's not always easy in an adult's world. 
It's certainly a daunting process, putting your hand up to, you know, lead your fellow youth or even just give feedback to government officials. I think inviting young people to attend regular meetings or be a part of like very professional processes, it can be a hard sell to a lot of young people. So I think it's important to think about what aspects of the program you want youth to be engaged in. Hack on Triple J. Lillian Watkins, that story there. Thanks, Lillian. And yeah, so many um, really, really inspiring young people who are standing up and getting their voices out there. We're hearing from some people on the text line who've got a fair bit to say about their local councils. It's important that we talk about, you know, youth advocacy and stuff, especially this week, because it's actually International Youth Day tomorrow. So it's a pretty big time to be talking about these things. Hack. Nothing like this has ever happened to a president of the United States before on Triple J. Hey, how's your week going? Has it been pretty busy? Because someone's had a very intense week. The former US President Donald Trump, he's been investigated from all angles. His place has been raided by FBI agents. What is happening? There's so much going on. And Donald Trump's always in the headlines, so it's easy to kind of miss stuff and get confused. I'm confused. Let's get the rundown from someone who knows. Dr. Emma Shortis is our US politics expert. She's with the Social and Global Studies Centre at RMIT. Hey, Emma, good to have you back on Hack. Hey, Dave, thanks for having me. Always so much going on with Donald Trump, right? He's making headlines another day, of course, as always. What's happening at the moment? Like, why was his property raided, first of all? Yeah, for sure. Look, there's always so much going on, but there have been like two two major developments this week. The first one is exactly as you said, the FBI raided his Florida properties, property at Mar-a-Lago, looking for classified documents and presidential records that they think he took out of the White House, which if he did, would, would break the law. So the FBI was looking to recover those documents. And then the second big thing is just a couple of days later, he appeared in court in New York as part of a civil investigation by the state of New York into his, the financial records of his business. So he appeared there at a deposition. So it has been a really busy week, even for Trump. Yeah. And there's also like, is there still the separate investigation into the US Capitol stuff that happened on January 6th? Is that still bubbling away as well? Yep, that's still going and like on a number of fronts as well. So there's there's a congressional investigation. So that's like the political investigation where representatives are investigating him. And then there's also, we now are pretty sure, a criminal investigation that the Department of Justice is pursuing. So there's like, I think by last count, there's like five or six separate investigations going on into Trump's various actions and affairs. Okay, right. I want to go back to the documents thing because that's just wild, right? So do we know what these documents are? No, we don't. So we, it's kind of, there's conflicting accounts, of course, as always with Trump, you never quite know exactly what's going on. But basically what we think is he, when he left the White House in in January, he took with him like potentially dozens of, of records of documents about his presidential administration. And that's illegal because all of those documents are supposed to be transferred to the National Archives. Um, and, it, and it breaks the law kind of potentially at least because a lot of those documents we think were classified and he was just like storing them potentially at Mar-a-Lago in his basement where anybody could have access to them. And again, like that's against the law and eventually like if he is found guilty, which is a, a big if, he could actually be barred from from running for federal office again. Right. So the outcome of this could affect his plans if he wants to run again for president. That's interesting because he still hasn't really made public whether he's going to 
to run in 2024. He's kind of been publicly flirting with the idea, right? Yeah, fl- I think flirting is the word um, and like far be it from me to predict what Trump will do, but I think he will run. You know, I think in these investigations will, he thinks at least, will kind of give him like a political weapon to use and he's used that very effectively in the past. And, and you know, we know he doesn't like to lose, so I think he will be kind of out again to, to run for president and that, that this investigation might kind of slow him down, but, you know, we've got, I think, a long way to go before we could say that he wouldn't be able to run. Right. And what has Donald Trump been saying about this himself? Like, I saw that, like, was he refusing to give evidence or something? Yeah, so in the in the case in New York, he invoked what's called the Fifth Amendment, which is basically your right not to answer questions because you might incriminate yourself in criminal proceedings. So he, for like hours, like four hours plus, sat there and didn't answer a single question except to confirm his name, um, which is unlike Trump. And you know, <laughs> we, think yeah. we know he likes to talk, but um, but he's being he's following legal advice in this case because you know we know what he's like. Like the odds are in a, in an investigation like this, talking for hours at a time, that he probably would incriminate himself. Yeah, it's um it's a it's a big risk and I guess like with that investigation as well also his kids are involved like it's something that's going to be playing out for quite a bit of time yet and I'm sure we'll be hearing a lot more about it. Oh, Dr. Emma Shortis from RMIT, very much appreciate you giving us a bit of an update so we know what to look out for. Anytime, thanks for having me. And we've got some messages coming through on the text line. James says Trump basically plundered the coffers of that country along with his friends and family. His closet's full of skeletons. I understand why he took the fifth. And another person says it goes to show how far above the law Trump thinks he is. Time will tell if he actually gets held accountable for anything. Hack on Triple J. And that's all we've got time for on the Hack Podcast for now. I'll catch you for the shake-up tomorrow. See you then.